RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here once again to listen to this thing, at least I call, a podcast and are excited about our guest this week. He has a book coming out that looks really, 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 really great. Uh, He's a WWE Hall of Famer, Intercontinental Champion, multi-time WWE Champion. Uh, His story is amazing and... um, and it really warm. Once you hear him talk, it'll really warm your heart about, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the show business, the entertainment business, the sports business, the wrestling business. He really uh, uh, picked a different path and it's enlightening to say the least as we go towards the holiday season. Like I said, he also has a book coming out called Don't Call Me Chico. And he's taking pre-orders right now at www.titosantana.com. And um, it's a great web website. I was on it all afternoon and yesterday doing research for the interview and basically it lists every match he had going back to 1978 when he started out uh, in championship wrestling from Florida and who it was against and what town so it's really a, if, if you like wrestling history it's a fascinating website to check out and the cool thing is if you go to titosantana.com and pre-order before Christmas you will get a phone call from Tito Santana like we're about to get in a minute I don't know that he's going to talk to you and answer all the questions that he's answering for me but uh, um, you get to say hi to uh, to, to Tito and uh, maybe ask a quick question or two. So the uh, uh, book looks fantastic, and um, and I suggest that you go to titosantana.com. Uh, not much really going on. Uh, the Right before we're taping this, the Wednesday Night Wars numbers came out, and ladies and gentlemen, it looks like we have a war. There was some wonder if, um, if AEW was, you know, sort of on the down – uh, going on, you know, on a downturn because of the numbers last week. Uh, I'm thinking that the only thing different between last week and all the other weeks, other than Thanksgiving, which affects everybody, but not as much as it affected AEW. I'm thinking that the only thing that was different that I could think of was they opened the show with an extended uh, promo segment with the Chris Jericho uh segment and while that segment was tremendously entertaining every other time i ever remember them opening the show they always open with a pretty high flying wrestling match uh this week they opened as you know with the young bucks and dustin versus uh, santana ortiz and sammy Guevara, who continues to impress me his facials and the way he reacts to the referee fantastic stuff for a heel um it's the little things that really uh, impress me. Now, the guy could work for sure and does amazing stuff, but it's the little facial stuff that really uh, is, is get, getting him over. And uh, so they opened with that match, and then they went right into another match, actually, without doing a commercial break, and uh, they were back up. Uh, I think they beat... Uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I think they beat uh, NXT by about 10,000, so it's close. But they're back in the 850 range, and NXT stayed in the 850 range. And NXT uh, won some demographics that AEW has been dominating. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, we got ourselves a wrestling war. And uh, so, entertaining promo. Uh 
by Chris Jer- by by both Cody Rhodes and Chris Jericho. Cody was pretty intense uh, talking about MJF. Uh, Jericho is more uh, comedic, entertaining, uh, sort of a takeoff on the thousand and one moves. If you ever saw uh, holds, if you ever saw that promo in WCW, I suggest you watch both. If you didn't get a chance to watch the show, both promos were awesome. Put a poll on. Twitter for the first time ever asking whose promo fans like better. I had them over to, as we record this almost over 400 responses, which for me blows my mind. So thank you for responding. And we'll do that more often if I think something's interesting. And uh, it was, I think it was 50. Last I looked, it was 53% Jericho, 47% Cody, but it went back and forth all day and all last night. So, uh, that's fun, interactive stuff on Twitter. By the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at, at David Penzer, all one word, at David Penzer, all one word, or at Penzer Ringside. You could follow the site. Hey, don't want to um, don't want to uh, uh, jinx myself. I'm going to knock on wood here, uh, but um, got some big, big names uh, in the pipeline for this month and the beginning of the next month. Uh, so stay tuned because. If everything works out as it's written on paper, uh, it could be a fun month uh, to six weeks here on City Ringside. Really uh, uh, riven things up and, and, and reached out to some people and was surprised by their response. So uh, um, uh, possibly big things happening, but I don't want to jinx myself. If those who know me know I knock on wood probably 50 times a day. So uh, I'm very superstitious. That said, ladies and gentlemen, an interesting story, uh, an interesting career. Uh, somebody who grew up uh, basically with nothing and uh, made himself into uh, not only a success, but an inspiration. Uh, it's my honor at this time to introduce my guest this week, WWE Hall of Famer, the author of the soon-to-be book, Don't Call Me Chico. You can pre-order at titosantana.com and get a call from my guest this week, the one and only Tito Santana. All right, ladies and gentlemen, sitting ringside this week, we are honored to have a WWE Hall of Famer. He is a former Intercontinental Champion and multi-time WWF Tag Team Champions. He has a book coming out that sounds fantastic. I can't wait to read it. It's called Don't Call Me Chico. And if you pre-order the book on his website, titosantana.com, which, by the way, the website is fantastic. He has every match he ever wrestled on the website starting 40 years ago. It's amazing. Uh, and who he wrestled against in what city. But if we pre-order on the website before Christmas, you will get a call. From my guest this week, please welcome the one and only Tito Santana. Welcome to City Ringside. Thank you so much, David. Arriba. Arriba. I love it. And uh, the website, I don't know who, who put it together. I don't know if that's you, but uh, usually uh, to, to do research uh, for uh, an interview every week, you know, you got to go to Wikipedia and then you got to go to all, this, all these other websites to try to piece together somebody's career. But, you know, I, I hop right on yours, man. And uh, it really, uh, it's amazing to see all the, all the old names that you wrestled back in Georgia and, and Florida and Mid-Atlantic and, and, and WWF. But we'll get to that. Um, thank you for being here. And um, so I want to start out at the beginning, as, as most people usually do. I've heard you say, and I know that you uh, put in promotion to the book, that you grew up very poor, son of, a, of sharecroppers in West Texas. I'm wondering um, if that made you more determined to achieve success as you were growing up. Uh, I just think, you know, that, that did. You know, it just drove me... Uh 
at, at a very young age. You know, I started picking, uh, working in the fields when I was seven years old. And, and at a very young age, I, I realized that, you know, I, I, I needed to get an education. I didn't know how I was going to go about it uh, to, to get out of the, you know, out of being a poor farm worker. Well, I mean, it's a great story for anybody who finds themselves in a spot where it's not, you know, things aren't great in life. And it's a fantastic story. As a matter of fact, have you have you ever seen the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke? Uh, yes. I would say that for all the negative that's in that movie, as far as people not knowing when to walk away and all the, uh, the you know, the stuff they abused, I would say in reading your biography, reading, knowing you a little bit and, 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 and knowing your story a little bit, uh, you would be the opposite, in my opinion, of that movie. Uh, and we'll get to that to- uh, towards the end of the interview, what you're doing now and, and why you decided to walk away, which is it's, it's hard in this business, as you probably know, but you were able to do it and you did it at the right time and you still are able to wrestle on the weekends. I just think it's a great story. Um, curious um, if you were a wrestling fan growing up or if you didn't have time to, to watch wrestling uh, because of you know the work in the school and all that. What, 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 I don't really understand the, the, the question. Did you, were you a wrestling fan? Were you a wrestling fan growing up? Did you watch it on TV? Did you ever go to the oh, matches? No, no, I, I was not a wrestling fan. Uh, I, I started uh, doing sports, and, and I was always, you know, involved uh, in high school. Once I started, I started playing sports when I was a freshman, and uh, I was uh, I played uh, football, basketball, and I did track. So uh, wrestling, from what I, you know, from what I knew, didn't come on till about eleven or twelve at night. So I, I, I was never, uh, never became a wrestling fan. I, I didn't have any interest in wrestling. It's amazing how many uh, uh, famous and, and, and successful wrestlers that West Texas State uh, football program uh, popped out. It's really amazing if you think about it. I know you played uh, tight end, I believe, with Tully Blanchard as the quarterback. And, uh, and, and I'm assuming that Tully was the one who, who kind of keyed you in on the wrestling business and uh, encouraged you uh, if the football thing didn't work out uh, down the road, that encouraged you that might be something you'd want to get involved in. Yeah, he, he actually uh, told me uh, my junior year that that his father, uh, him and his father, had discussed uh, and thought that because his father was a promoter in, in, in San Antonio, right? Uh, so he he said that they they thought that I could uh, have a, a great wrestling career, but I didn't know anything about wrestling and I wasn't interested. So I said, you know, football is my you know, uh, I, was start, I started to get letters from the NFL when, when I was a, a junior in, in college also. So, you know, I, I was just determined to be a, you know, a football player. Uh, so, you know, they threw some figures at me. And when I went to Kansas City and, you know, I signed for $18,000 a year as a rookie. Uh, I, and, and the numbers that uh, Tully Blanchard and Joe Blanchard were throwing at me were quite a bit more. And the careers were a lot longer. After my first season, I realized how, how hard it was to, to make it in the NFL. And, and, and even if you made it, the career was not very long. I started thinking about it, you know. So I, I told Tully, I said, I, you know, I want to go and I want to play one more year. And then I, I, I want to start training to become a professional wrestler, you know. And, and I was really grateful for, for the opportunities that they gave me. 
uh, obviously. And, and you trained in Florida under uh, Hiro Matsuda and Eddie Graham. Uh, I, I grew up watching championship wrestling from Florida. I live in Tampa, uh, so I'm very familiar with that uh, promotion and that whole era. Just wondering, uh, was it Tully or Joe or, or somebody else that arranged for you to come to Florida to train? You would think maybe they'd send you to Joe Blanchard's territory to train, but instead someone sent you to, to uh, Florida. Well, uh, actually, I got done uh, playing with the kids, uh, with the uh, my second year. I played in Canada with the BC Lions. Right after that season was over, I told Tully, you know, that, I, that we knew that I was going to start training. So Tully graduated from college, you know, in th- that uh, December. So him and I, they had it set up where uh, him and I were going to go to Tampa, Florida, and he had already been. Uh, I didn't know this, but he had already been wrestling in the summer, so. He, he was ready to go. Uh, I I didn't know anything about wrestling, so you know I had to learn from scratch. I mean, I had to crawl before I walked, and then walk. And you know, it, it was it was not an easy training because you know I had to learn everything, how to hit the ropes, how to take the bumps, how to you know. Uh, so it it was Joe Blanchard and, and Tully Blanchard who uh, who had it all set up. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I think Terry Funk had something to do with it also. Why am I not surprised by that? What a great guy. Um, so I, I'm from, being a championship wrestling from Florida fan, I'm familiar with some of the stories that come out of the sport, the old sportatorium where guys were training. Uh, did you have any issues with any, any, any of the, the guys, uh, uh, Gordon Nelson or Hero or anybody shooting on you? Or, or was it the fact that you were kind of accepted by Tully and Joe Blanchard and sent there by Terry Funk to just sort of avoid, avoid that kind of craziness? Yeah, I think there was a reason. Uh, you know, no, nobody tried to hurt me. Uh, you know, I had a, a good attitude. I, I wasn't uh, cocky. As a matter of fact, me and uh, Barry uh, Barry Orton, uh, Bob Orton's uh, brother. Right. Uh, he he was breaking in, and, and his father was working out with him. And uh, Hiro Matsuda, you know, saw him, and he he was also just getting started himself. When Hiro sees him, and uh, he, he takes him to the side, he says, "Look," he says, "You know, he he was not happy with with Barry, you know," and he says. You need to learn how to take, you know, there's, there's seven takedowns. You need to learn the takedowns. You need to, you know, learn, learn how to take the bumps and hit the ropes and forget about all that uh, stuff. That, that'll come later. Uh, and, I mean, I, I listened to whenever somebody was giving me any advice. I was an athlete, so, you know, uh, I just listened to, to Hiro Matsuda, and, and he took a liking to me, you know. I worked hard with him, you know, and, and but he never tried to hurt me. So uh, you, you, after you debuted in Florida, you spent, uh, according to uh, what I could find on your website and other websites, just a couple of weeks wrestling in Florida, and then you went off to Georgia, spent about a year there, and then you went to Mid-Atlantic, so kind of making your way up to the eastern seaboard. Um, was was it all just one big uh, learning experience, or were any of the tor- territories different? Was see the championship wrestling from Florida different than Georgia? Was Georgia and Florida different from Mid-Atlantic? Uh, or was it just basically the same thing, different city, different different towns? I think those three territories, uh, in, in my opinion, you know, they took a lot of pride in their wrestling. And, and uh, you know, the, the wrestlers wrestled. If you were a fan, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they had a lot of great, a lot of great uh, tech, tech, technical wrestlers. Uh, and, 
you know, one was just as good as the other. You know, uh, I, 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 I went, I, I had four matches in Florida, and then uh, Ricky Steamboat had uh, been in Atlanta, and only and was a booker and only let him go, and then Ricky went and became a big star in, in Charlotte. Uh, so before you know it, you know, uh, Barnett, Jim Barnett was the, was the, was the owner of the Atlanta Georgia Championship Wrestling. Right. I guess wanted to replace me with Ricky Steamboat. I mean, he wanted to replace Ricky Steamboat with me. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they even gave me Ricky Steamboat's real name, which was Richard Blood. I remember that. So I was Richard Blood for, for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I, I went to Florida and they told me they were going to give me a big push. Well, by that time, I had four matches and I knew that I wasn't ready to work on top. I didn't only hit four matches. Right. And, you know, they worked with me, you know, how I'm going to enter the ring, you know, the, uh, a few a, a few uh, days. And my first show I was going to be in, it was in Augusta, Georgia. And they said, you're going to go up to the, get on top of the apron. You're going to jump over the top rope and come in with a lot of energy. Well, the place was sold out in Augusta, Georgia. And I go in, I grab the ropes. I go to jump over the top rope, which I had practiced over and over and over again. But Lord and behold, uh, uh, my feet catch the ropes and oh, I geez. stumble into the ring. And my opponent was Ted Oates. And uh, I forgot the name of the referee, but they were waiting for me. And they, 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 they didn't want to laugh, so I walked up to them and I said, "You know, from now on, just call me Gracious." And then they started laughing because it was funny the way the way it fell, but it, it was embarrassing. But you know, there was there was the beginning. You know, it, it's a, a lot of people don't realize, you know, how hard it is to become a professional wrestler and you know to to learn the moves, to learn how to do the interviews, to you know just, just to learn the match in, in itself. Uh, it takes a lot of hard work. Yeah, back in that day, you had to learn how to read a crowd and react accordingly. What what worked in one city, uh, you know, might not work in the next town uh, the next night. So That's you had exactly to, right. yeah, you, you had to be able to adapt, which is really uh, the the you know, it's still uh, imp- you know, wrestling is still an impressive athletic uh, event, but the art form, I think, of being able to listen to a crowd uh, and and not plan everything in advance, I think, is something that unfortunately has disappeared, which is a shame. I'm excited today to talk to you about Dollar Shave Club, and I can't stress enough the quality of their products. We're going to get to that in a moment, but I want you to know that they've spent years developing, crafting, refining everything. They have everything I use to look, feel, and smell my best. You name it, they have it, and I use it. I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I hate shaving. I have a thick growth, and if I don't shave every day, it looks like I didn't shave at all. And the only thing worse than having to shave every day is waiting like five or six or seven days and having almost a full beard and having to shave. You go to the drugstore, you spend a ton of money on the expensive razors, and then it's painful, you're bleeding, and I don't want to get too uh, graphic, but it's not a fun experience when you have a full beard. So I tried something a little bit different. I ordered my Ultimate Shave Starter Set from Dollar Shave Club this week, and I decided after the holidays, I had about an eight-day growth, that I was going to give it a try and see how it held up against the other razors. And ladies and gentlemen, I was thrilled to death. I put on some of their prep scrub, rubbed it in, 
put on some shave butter that they include in their ultimate shave starter kit, got out that executive razor not knowing what was going to happen, and I will tell you honestly, the best, the most comfortable, the easiest shave I have ever had in my entire life. I am hooked. I am a fan. I am a customer for life, and I encourage you to check them out as well. As amazing as their shave stuff is, Dollar Shave Club is way more than just razors, too. Dollar Shave Club has you covered head to toe. They have everything you need to shower, shave, style your hair, brush your teeth, and even wipe your rear end. And Dollar Shave Club could keep you automatically stocked up on the products you use. You get whatever you want whenever you need it, whether that's once a month or a few times a year. And you never have to waste time at a store wondering if what you're getting is any good. Like I told you, at Dollar Shave Club as a member, I know what I'm getting is the highest quality. They proved it to me when I shaved an eighth day growth yesterday and had the best shaving experience of my 53 years on this earth. Ladies and gentlemen, right now you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their ultimate shave starter set, the same one that I ordered, has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. The executive razor shave butter prep scrub and post shave dew this is an amazing opportunity ladies and gentlemen the best part is you could try it for just five dollars all that for just five dollars that's a fraction of the price of just going and getting one blade at your local store after you get that the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash ringside, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E. That is dollarshaveclub.com slash ringside. If you have heavy growth and you have problems shaving and it's like torture on a daily basis, I guarantee you it will be worth it. That's $5 for the ultimate starter set at dollarshaveclub.com slash ringside. You will be glad you did, as was I. You talked about how Florida, Georgia, and uh, Mid-Atlantic were were pretty much the same uh, kind of areas. October of 1978, you went to... uh all Japan Pro Wrestling for a tour of Japan. I'm assuming that was pretty much a culture shock uh, compared to the Southern Territories. Yes, it was. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I got to Japan. I, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, all the Americans, I realized that we, we were the heels in Japan. You know, the, the Japanese wrestlers were the baby faces. So I... I, I as being a good guy here, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm the heel. You know, I guess that you can say that that's the only time that I ever worked as a heel. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it was a culture shock. I mean, those guys took it serious. You go in there, and, and you had to fight for your life because you know, if you didn't, the Japanese wrestlers would would beat the crap out of you and, and, and eat you up and spit you out for lunch. Luckily, I was a good athlete, and you know, I could defend myself. Also, the reaction back then from the fans, the Japanese fans, was totally different. Uh, you know, they would clap politely at certain things, but there was no, you know, uh, you know, there there was no, uh, uh, you know, way to go, Tito. There was no, roars. no, there, no. There was no roars. There, you know, there was no Tito. There was no. I mean, it, it took a lot of hard work to get a, a little bit of a, a clapping for you know just a, just a few seconds. You know, yeah. they they watched the match in silence, and you know. At the end of the match, they would let you know, you know, they 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 appreciated a good wrestler. Yeah, absolutely, totally different world though. And uh, when I first saw uh, 
uh, All Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling on videotape, I was shocked at how different it is, like we said, about the reaction from the crowd. It has to be a culture shock to a wrestler who goes there for the first time who's used to a crowd being into it from the, you know, from the bell ringing uh, in a totally different way. Hey, uh, January 79, went back to West, Te- West Texas to wrestle. How, how was that? Was that like a homecoming, local boy makes good uh, kind of thing? Must well, have... Yeah, uh, the, uh, ter- uh, Terry Funk had sold the territory to Dick Murdoch and uh, Blackjack Mulligan. Right. And uh, uh, they were both in Charlotte when they bought the territory from the Funks. And they told me, you know, we're going to bring you in. We're going to make you a big Mexican star. And, and by that time, I, I, you know, I had, about, you know, close to three years you know, two and a half years. And uh, I felt like I was ready to, you know, for a push then. Uh, and, you know, there may be all kinds of promises, but uh, uh, Dick Murdoch was was, uh, was also wrestling and he was also a baby face. And, you know, the, my first day at TV, I, I, they put me against, a, a kind of, I think it was Dennis Lane or I forgot who it was already, but, uh, I had to go a 10-minute draw on TV, and, and I knew, I said, you know, if you're going to get a big push, you're not going to go you're not gonna go a 10-minute draw on television. You know, I, I had been around enough to know that, you know, the, the promises they made to me were not going to come true, and, and uh, I only stayed there, like, uh, yeah, two, you know, I stayed there about two and a half months, and then I uh, ended up coming to New York with Ted DiBiase, so April 17, 1979, according to TitoSantana.com, you started in WWF. And wondering who came up with the name Tito Santana? Well, I, I, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, but it was uh, Andre the Giant uh, took a tape from Texas. He, Andre the Giant was there. We had become friends. And uh, uh, I, I didn't even know that he took the tape. He, he just knew that I wasn't happy. Uh, and we had become friends, and, and before you know it, I'm coming over there. So uh, uh, Vince McMahon Senior uh, talked to me, and he said, uh, uh, "We'd we, we'd like to bring you in as a, as a Mexican star. And, uh, what do you think of a name? And you know, let me know when you get here." And I always liked the name Santana. So my first wrestling match that I stepped into the ring. Uh, they told me, okay, I like Santana, but it, you're going to be called Tino, T-I-N-O, Tino Santana. I said, okay. I mean, I, I was just happy to be in New York because yeah. it was the biggest territory. Uh, so I went out and I wrestled the first match as Tino Santana. And when I got done, I got a, I signed a few autographs as Tino Santana on the, from the ring in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, when I when I came through the through the Curtains, uh, Vince McMahon Jr. and Sr. were both waiting for me, and uh, they grabbed me and they said, uh, from now on, you're going to be called Tito Santana. And I said, it's okay with me. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> and uh, that, that's how it came about. Just as, much, just as long as you call me. Uh, that's right. According to TitoSantana.com, a great website, by the way. A fan, I, I can't gush about it enough. I was on it all afternoon. Um, July 2nd, uh, 
79 was the first time you wrestled in Madison Square Garden. I'm wondering if you realized at the time this, how significant that was and how many people dreamt to, to wrestle in the garden is almost like one of the top things to achieve in their career. Well, you know, uh, the, t- the little town that I came from, uh, Mission, Texas, the population was 14,000. So, you know, the minute that I that I walked in, the, well, that I drove into to, to New York City, I, I was just amazed at the amount of people, you know, to, to drive into New York City uh, and knowing that there was going to be over 20,000 people. I had never been, you know, uh, other than a football game where they, they had more, but, you know, the stadiums were bigger, than, you know. So uh, when I stepped, you know, into the ring in front of 20,000 people, uh, you know, I was just amazed at the, at the number of people. And, you know, I always heard that if you can make it in, in, in Medicine Square, Square Garden, you can make it anywhere. And Mario uh, uh, Savoldi, uh, who was a referee, and, and we worked together in, in uh, Texas also, and his father was uh, Angelo Savoldi. Right. Uh, told me, you know, if you can get over in, in, in Madison Square Garden, you know, you can get over anywhere. But he's, they told me it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to work your ass off. And, and uh, you know, I just went in there with with intentions of uh, doing, you know, a lot of wrestlers said that I, I'm the one that brought in the high flying. You know, I started flying head scissors, drop kicks. And, you know, uh, New York was a big man territory. I mean, they had big, strong guys that, uh, there wasn't a lot of flying going going around, in, you know, in wrestling matches. So I guess you could say that you know I introduced a lot of the high flying moves in, in in your territory. I actually remember that watching on WOR. Uh, you, you and uh, Ivan Putsky uh, won the WWF tag team titles, um, and after about a year, you you left WWF. I'm wondering. Uh, why you decided to leave? There, guys like Putsky and Tony Gurria, Chief J Strongbow, uh, had good runs there for you know ten, fifteen years of their career. I'm wondering why you decided to to go and um, uh, go to the AWA and move on. Well, uh, Vince McMahon Senior, I guess he saw talent in me. Wow! And uh, he says, uh, "You guys are going to have to drop the belts." So we dropped the bells to the, to, to the Wild Samoans. Right. And he says, you can stay here if you want, but if, uh, you're not going to have a good position if, if, if I keep you. He said, I would prefer for you to go uh, get more experience because I still, you know, I, I was still, you know, like I'd only been in the business just a little over three years. He says, you know, it would you would benefit by going somewhere else and getting more experience. Then when, when you're primed, we'll bring you back. And I said, uh, I told Vince Senior, I said, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me to go from now on. You know, I, 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 like I made him my booker. You know, any time that I made a move up to that, I, I would call Vince Senior. So he says, uh, okay, where would you like to go? And, and I had heard of uh, the AWA. I'd heard that it was a great territory. So I said, I'd like to go to the AWA. You know, we used to do TV tapings every three weeks. He says, okay, you're all set to go into into the AWA. You're going to be starting at a certain uh, date. And, you know, he had it all set up for me. That's awesome. Hey, uh, 
We always like to ask, uh, and you said that Andre was a friend, and a better friend than not a friend, uh, from everything I've heard about Andre. Uh, what's, what's your, I don't want to, I know you don't want to give too much away because I'm sure you write about your book, but what's your favorite if you can name one Andre the Giant story that tickles your, uh, your, your funny bone? Uh, I'm wondering if you could, uh, tell the fans. Well, I, my wife and I were with Andre in, in, in Hawaii w- one time, and, and uh, you know, Andre was a big star all over the world. So Andre was going to show me, you know, my wife, he, he loved my wife, Leah, and, and uh, we, we got into a, a limousine, and, and, and it was a little Oriental that was driving the limousine, and he sees Andre get in, and he says, no, no, out, out. He says, uh, flat tire, flat tire. Just <laughs> drive, uh, but you know, Andre was a good. You know, Andre was a good uh, was a good guy. You know, he, uh, he, he if you were a wrestler, he he. You know, the, the wrestling was his family. You know, sure. If you were a wrestler, you were okay. If, if he liked you, you were okay. If he didn't like you, he he, he still made life miserable for you as a wrestler. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I, I saw. You know his career come to an end, and you know the pain that he was in at the end, and you know Andre, at, at the end was very bitter, and he was very mean to to the wrestling fans, to kids, to old people, you know, because uh, I mean I, I can't tell you how many times I would walk to the airports and and people making you know nasty remarks about Andre loud enough for him to hear him, and he would wouldn't say nothing because he was a good guy. And at the end, he just could care less. You know, he'd tell them, go screw off. And, you know, he, he would tell people off at the end. Wow. So you went to the AWA, back to Georgia a little bit. I didn't realize at the time, but you were doing all this uh, under the guidance of Vince Sr., which makes a lot of sense, actually. Towards the end of 83, you returned to WWF. I'm wondering when you got the feeling that this was now Vince Jr.'s uh, uh, territory and that that things were going to be different as far as not uh, uh, not appreciating and, 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 and taking care of the territory rules that were in place and what your thoughts were when you figured that out. Well, uh, when they brought me back the second time around, uh, you know, right away I, I figured out that, that they had pretty good plans for me. Uh, and Vince Senior was still running the show. Uh, in the meantime, shortly after that, we found out that uh, I think Vince Senior had some kind of a, uh, some kind of cancer, right? And you know, and that he wasn't going to be around. And they, uh, Vince Senior, they called a meeting, and uh, Vince Senior said that uh, you know he was turning the territory over to Vince Junior, uh, and you know, he was going to be our boss. And right in the middle of the, when when Vince Sr. got done, he, you know, uh, Vince Jr. took over. And, and I mean, he he took over and, and he let everybody know he was going to be the boss. And, you know, and, and he talked about there was going to be some changes. He didn't tell us what the changes were. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden things started to, you know, coming up you know we're going into we're going into atlanta we're going into louisiana we're going into montreal we're going you know all of a sudden every time we come to tv we're, we're going into a different uh place and uh you know then came the wrestlemanias and you know the explosion started 
How'd you how'd you feel about that as someone who uh, got your start in the territories and and that's where you really learned your craft? Uh, did you have mixed emotions about that, or you were just going wherever Vince was sending you, and that was just part of the business? To me, that was just part of the business, you know. And, and I I knew that uh, you know Vince was the was the top, you know. He was running New York, you know. Nowhere else did, did you have the Coliseums like you did in Baltimore, Washington, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, you, you know, a, a lot of big buildings that, that were being that were packed. You know, you, you didn't have that in in, in Florida. You know, a, a big crowd in Florida was five thousand people. Uh, in Atlanta, was at the time was the same. You know, later on they started going into bigger buildings, but they weren't going into the big buildings like. Uh, like you were going into the East Coast, you know, they, they didn't have the population right in the first place, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I I knew that I was I was being taken care of by, by you know the best territory in, in the world. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the first WrestleMania, and you were in the opening match, and I and I've seen the Vince uh, said that he put you in that opening match because he knew you would. Uh, get the crowd going with all your high flying stuff that you were talking about. Uh, I'm wondering when you when you, when you were at WrestleMania, could you have ever imagined that uh, all these years later what it would become, or did you just see it as a another super show and 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 would pack our bags and keep on rolling down the road? Well, at, at the time it was just another super show, but uh, we had no idea where it was going to go uh, before before. The, the show started, you know, Vince, we had a meeting and he says, uh, uh, he told us, he says, this is do or die. You know, he says, I invested everything I got. So, you know, Vince rolled the, rolled the dice, you know, uh, he brought some mega stars and, and, and he said, uh, we're either going to make it or we're not going to make it. Uh, I had a big feud against uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine and I was really disappointed because I was not wrestling Valentine, uh, you know, they put me, and for me, I thought that like me and Greg Valentine were selling out arenas without Hulk Hogan. You know, I, I was really down. And, and then uh, right before I went to the curtains, uh, Vince uh, came. You know, Vince Jr. came and said, you know, the reason you're first is because uh, you, you're the guy who can get the people off their ass, and you know that's your job tonight. And then I had a, a different perspective in, in, in why I was on, on first uh, first match. And now it turned out to be that I was the the, the first match on WrestleMania one. You know, that, that's a big big spot for 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 the wrestling fan now. Couple of things about my buddies at Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. And I guarantee you that Mac Weldon is better than whatever you are wearing right now. Let me tell you a little bit about. My friends at Mack Weldon, their mission is simple, to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. The frustration was real and their eureka moment happened in a department store aisle full of brands that dominate our top drawers. Surrounded by a mind-numbing assortment of underwear and socks, they realized consistent fit and quality became a game of roulette. By the way, I love roulette. They made sure the design process was meticulous so you could count on the fit being the exact same each time. They also built a world-class customer experience uh, 
The difference is in the details, and they obsessed over every stitch and seam until they reached their definition of perfect. Like I told you earlier, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. They believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping, and going online is a breeze. One of the cool things I liked about their website is next to every single product, they have easily to find customer reviews. And I found that very helpful while I was looking on their easy to navigate website. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. And not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. Good for working out, going to work, going on a date, just everyday life. Ladies and gentlemen, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code RINGSIDE, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E. That's 20% off your first order, MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code RINGSIDE. I'll say it for a third time, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, so be sure to get some of their great products. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. Enter the promo code RINGSIDE. You'll be as glad as I was. You mentioned working with Greg Valentine, and I, I got to know Greg pretty good here and living in Tampa. Um, I'm, I'm assuming working with Greg Valentine was akin to working in Japan, where you literally had to fight your way out of the ring every night. Uh, uh, I don't want to put wor- I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, but uh, uh, tell me about working with Greg real quick. Well, uh, I used to get home uh, and, and I tell my wife, I, I said, uh, I tell her I've, I've had easier street fights <laughs> than, than wrestling with Greg. Uh, you know, Greg would, uh, Greg was a hard worker. You know, he 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 was like a little pit bull. He he would keep coming at you. You know, and and if uh, if you let him, he would just beat the crap out of you the whole match. So you know, you uh, you had to fight back and and. Uh, I guess I, I, I earned my respect, and I, again, you know, being an athlete, and you know, I could take it and I could dish it out, and, and we used to beat the crap out of each other, and and, and the people people believed our matches, you know, because uh, we because <laughs> we did beat the crap out of each other. I've seen it, and I've seen him do it with other people, and I wouldn't want to be in there for all the money in the world. Hey, you mentioned that other than maybe Japan, you had never wrestled heel. I had interviewed Ricky Steamboat, who also had never wrestled heel in his career. Very similar, uh, actual, actually, uh, baby faces, uh, you know, a little bit high-flying, uh, could really sell great and, uh, and, and, and got the fans into it. Uh, I was surprised to learn that he was, he was kind of upset that he never got a chance to and sort of pushed to turn. Uh, wondering if you ever, uh, if looking back on your career, obviously you had a great career and you're still going out there on the weekends and doing signings and stuff, but I'm wondering if you ever wish you could have had one run in the territory somewhere as a heel. I, well, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, when, when they teamed me up with the Rick Martel and strike force, and then we split up, uh, I knew that Rick was coming back, uh, after we had split up from WrestleMania five, I believe. Uh, and uh, I asked Vince if I could be the heel and Vince says, no, uh, unbeknown to me, you know, Rick, they, they had the model thing going on already. And I had no idea, you know, ah, gotcha. uh, so, so they just said, no, uh, you're going to say Vince says, uh, there's so many things we can do with you as a baby face. 
And he says, I'm not done with you. So I thought he, well, I was going to get a, you know, something big again, which never happened. They, they gave me this uh, matador uh, gimmick that, uh, you know, I, I would have liked it if, if they would have done something with it. But, you know, it, it was just a big promise and they didn't do anything. That's why I ended up just saying, ah, this is enough. So uh, before we wrap things up, and I thank you for your time. I know you're busy. You teach school and uh, and, and go out on the weekends and do appearances. And uh, I, I saw an interview with Dip Bill after. I guess uh, once a week you get you appear in uh, at your uh, uh, family's uh, beauty salon. Uh, so uh, you might want to uh, tell about that where somebody could come meet you. And uh, but uh, I wanted to ask you. I saw there's going to be a chapter in. Don't call me Chico. Your book about ribs and people, you know, fans love to hear about ribs, especially because you know it's a totally different world we live in now, where the things that were done back in the day couldn't be done. Uh, you know, charges would be pressed at, at some point. Uh, I'm wondering. I don't. I don't want to get you to give it all away for sure, but I'm wondering if you have like one favorite rib. I'm, I'm assuming maybe a Mr. Fuji rib, but I could be wrong. Uh, that that you could tell. Well, uh, Mr. Fuji was, was a big-time ribber, you know, uh, and, and and he, especially if he didn't have, he didn't care too much for you, you know, he'd rib the crap out of you. And uh, I remember when uh, Jerry King Lawler came uh, and, and we were in, in Montreal and uh, I think Mr. Fuji took a dump on his crown and uh, when Lawler came back, he, he found the crown and, then Vince had a meeting with us on TV, you know, that we couldn't be doing stuff like that anymore or we were going to get in trouble. And, uh, you know, some of the ribs that that that, uh, that went on, I mean, were, were, were big time serious, you know, where, you know, some of the guys could could have gotten hurt, you know, but, uh, but those were the boys. Yeah, I was going to say the crap in the crown. While I'm sure it pissed Jerry off and entertained the boys, that uh, from the some of the ribs I've heard about from Mr. Fuji, that seemed actually kind of uh, lame uh, compared to some of the other stuff I've heard. That, like you said, people could have gotten hurt. Hey, last question. We mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier that your career was really the opposite of the career of the 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 the, the character and the wrestler who couldn't walk away. And and uh, and and you you while you still involved in the business you walked away you became a school teacher uh, and really settled down like i said opened a, a family beauty salon uh what was your thinking in that because as somebody who's been just even as a ring of announcer in front of the you know you get the roar of the crowd my roar was good evening whatever city you know because every that was the only time they would cheer for anything i had to say every all every, other than that they were cheering for the people i introduced so that was my little uh adrenaline pop when you know i started the show and and even for me you know it was hard to walk away from that so i'm wondering uh what finally made you decide you know what I'm, it's, it's time to, uh, to go home and 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 and, and get a real job and and be and 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 uh, not be in this crazy business full time anymore because it's something you don't hear a lot about uh, in the history of this business. Well, I I, I had a great career. I, I I saved my money. You know, I, I didn't blow money on on, on drugs or, or just went around blowing money and and, and living like uh, it was never going to come to an end. I, I kind of uh, kept my feet on the ground. Uh, I knew that, uh, that it, it was going to come to an end. Uh, I, I had uh, three children, uh, three boys. 
my my kids were young. Uh, I I had missed a lot of their a lot of their growing up, and and uh, uh, they promised me the world with a with a matador, and it didn't come true. And I guess they had planned. They, they at some point they they were going to put the belt on me, but it didn't happen. So it just didn't happen. I'm not going to uh, you know second guess whatever they did. But you know, I just decided. You know, I, I, I'm not going to hang around and 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 just be breaking even on the road. Uh, it, it was a hard, hard life, fifty to year, uh, to be making. You know, at the time, uh, I, I think uh, I had dropped down to making. You know, one hundred seventy-five, two hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, to me, it wasn't worth it. You know, uh, my family was more important. So. Uh, the money wasn't as good as it, it had been, so I said, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm not gonna, because we had to pay, our, you know, maybe 175 sounds like a lot of money or 200 grand, but when you when you pay your expenses out of that, you know, it's really, it really wasn't a lot of money. And taxes too, uh, yeah. And sure. I just said, you know, my family is more important than, than just uh, spending time away from home, having a good time. God bless you, man. Was it a different, difficult transition going into uh, school every morning and teaching and, and under that regimented kind of uh, uh, school scenario as opposed to, you know, hey, rolling, you know, waking up in the morning, going to the gym, rolling, rolling into the arena at, at five o'clock, you know, wrestling, going out, maybe having a beer or two. And was, was it hard to transition to that? No, it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't very hard for me because I mean, when we wrestled, we, we were we worked twenty hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Uh, and you know, and when I started teaching, uh, you know, it was my my eighth grade coach, uh, uh, gym teacher that that uh, got me into sports. Uh, so I, I owe it all to him, and uh, you know, because I could have gone the, the wrong way and hanging around with different guys, and I feel that uh, he. He he was a, a big angel in my life that that, that helped me uh, uh, set me on the on the right path and you know uh, uh, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hard transition you know because I wanted it you know I I felt if, if if I could help one kid the way that gym teacher helped me you know my my life would be complete and, and I know that I've made a difference in in, in a lot of kids' lives uh, wow. the, the 22 years that I've been teaching. Wow. How were how the parents coming off uh, a big run, you know, seven straight WrestleManias and, and a ton of time on television in that area, New Jersey? How, how was parent-teacher conferences? Those must have been interesting. More like autograph, se- <laughs> more like autograph sessions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we have, uh, we, we'd have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, you, when you meet the parents at the beginning of the year, you know, all my rooms were always packed, you know, and they were all big wrestling fans because, you know, I, I was over pretty pretty big, and sure. you know, in, in the in the wrestling world, and you know, I, 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 as a matter of fact, I'm still pretty well known. You know, the, the wrestling fans here that they know who I am, and you know, a lot of fans. You know, it, it, it was nice. You know, it, it was nice to to you know to to see the fans. You know, the, the parents who were now parents. Uh, that would that tell me they were watching me when they were you know young teenagers you know it's a it's a great feeling you know I, I love you know when you know people I love making appearances and people talking about the good old days and they they know about more about my career than than than, than I can remember <laughs> but you know they refresh my memory and you know I, I love talking to the fans about uh, you know when you hear. Uh, 
the fans tell you, you know, thank you for all the great memories, you know, uh, from my childhood. Uh, it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. And and I and and it's such a it's such a nice story in a business where sometimes you don't have nice stories. Uh, so the ones that are that end nice and the ones that are classy really stand out. I'm not just uh, kissing you know up because you're on my podcast, but in, in as we approach the holiday season, it's just such an amazing story coming from very little, working your way up, being successful, walking away, and then making a difference in people's lives. Man, I don't know that uh, that 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 somebody could do much more in in a lifetime. So God bless. What a great story! And if you want to read the book, uh, I look forward to reading it as well. You don't have to call me, Tito. We already, you already, we already talked for the podcast. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna order, I'm gonna order tonight. But uh, so you can scratch me off. But the book is called "Don't Call Me Chico." And if you pre-order before Christmas, you get a call, a phone call from the very own WWE Hall of Famer Tito Santana, thanking you for purchasing the book and. Um, and and I wish you the best on that. And uh, you could do that by going to www.cedostantana.com. If for some reason you, you're crazy and don't want to purchase the book or aren't sure, I'd go on there just to look at the history, man. The, almost every match in his entire career, going back 40 years, where it was, who it was against. Uh, it's a great, great history lesson for people who study history and professional wrestling. I, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, God bless you for your story and 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 what and the great things that you've done and i wish you nothing but the best in the future and good luck on the book tito thank you so much david arriba wow what a great story i want to thank tito santana for coming on sitting ringside and uh and telling his story and and if you want to get a little bit a lot more in depth on his story uh be sure to pick up that book don't call me chico and get a call from tito santana himself ladies and gentlemen you know it's funny one thing that doesn't uh, that doesn't get enough probably attention in uh, this day and age because it happened so long ago, like I said, uh, 35 years ago, was, uh, you know, he mentioned that Vince Jr. had a meeting before WrestleMania and basically said he had put everything on the line. And that that's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. He was broke. Uh, he basically, he bet it all. He went all in on wrestling. Speaking of all in, he went all in on, he was the first one to go all in. But uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's why he's not exactly thrilled with the new all-in. But he went all-in on WrestleMania one, uh, and if it was not successful and didn't do the the buy rate numbers, and the, actually you didn't get back then, you had to go to the arena and watch it in the arenas. And I remember going to an arena in Gainesville and watching it, Gainesville, Georgia. I was going to college and watching it there on the big screens and. Uh, if uh if if people didn't go that the whole rest of the business the whole next 35 40 years could have looked a lot different so it's just something interesting to point out that he put it all on the line and um whether you like Vince you hate him whether you like the project, product or you hate the product got to give a guy credit man you put it all on the line and if you succeed you got it made and if you don't you're done and uh that takes as they say balls cojones i don't know that i got those kind of cojones, quite frankly. Uh, but uh, hey, want to? I, I meant to say earlier. Want to say thank you for the positive feedback on the uh, uh, question and answer that we did last week. Want to thank J- Jerry Petuck. It wouldn't have been as good without him uh, for jumping on, and hopefully, could jump on in future episodes. So thank you, Jerry, and um, and and got a lot of great feedback. Still getting a lot of great feedback. So uh, I'm glad you you like my stories, and you know we got a milk truck story, and and uh, and. and 
uh, a uh, Terry Jack Seasons in the Sun meltdown. And if you haven't listened, be sure to go back and listen. Got lots of great stuff, and I was humbled uh, and proud of the feedback that we got. We tried something different, and uh, people seem to like it. So thank you very much. Until next week, this is David Penzer. I'm still sitting ringside. Have a good one. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Hey, gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but we are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, A Place for My Head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.